Amen. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 4, as we study God's Word together this morning. And how blessed we are. I was reminded just this morning again how blessed we are to have uh, the leadership that God has given us, even as a congregation. I met with our deacons council this morning. Now, this is a, a different experience for me as, as a pastor. I, I've never met with deacons on Sunday morning early before. One, because I don't like to get up early, okay? Number two, usually it's in the afternoons or evenings or so. But the tradition of meeting with our deacons on Sunday morning, it was, seemed to be a formidable formidable moment for me because I thought to myself, how am I going to meet with deacons and then preach? You know, be inspired. Some of you know our deacons. But I will tell you that I am blessed to be a part of a church that has wonderful leadership within our deacon body, but also leadership in our staff and leadership that is that has been here even years before I ever thought about arriving. You know, some years ago, our church leadership came around this idea of affirming core values, really who we are and what we stand for as a congregation. And they laid out these different core values. And, and when I came and as I looked across each one of those, I thought to myself, you know, that's who I am. Those core values define who I am as a believer and for us as a church, it gives us a biblical standard of who we all should be. And I thought to myself, this is a wonderful work to embrace and to be reminded that years ago, God set this in motion among the leadership that we had at that time to be able to go year by year and study. And each year, as some of you know, we've had an emphasis upon one of those core values. Some of you, it's hard for you to imagine, but for seven years now, entering into our seventh year, we've been looking at a core value each and every moment, each and every year that we've come together. It's hard to believe for some of you, right? You remember when it started. But now we come to this last and final core value. And that is the emphasis that some of you will have in Sunday school this morning. It is the emphasis that you'll be seeing shared from the pulpit over the next few weeks as we study Luke chapter 4, 5, and 6. As we think of God giving us an ha a hands-on missions. Now, I, I'm a kind of a hands-on guy. I like... Uh, now, I'm not saying that I'm very gifted at, like, construction or anything like that. Some of you looked at me like, he said he was hands-on. <laughs> I'm not saying that I'm gifted in the mechanical roles or the construction roles, but I'm saying to you, I like to be involved. And I think God's challenge to all of us is for us to be involved in his missions in a practical way. For certainly Jesus was. Jesus knew what it was like to take upon a hands-on mission. And I want you to see the way he describes it. The way this mission begins, if you will, as Dr. Luke records this for us. As he uh, records these opening moments of Jesus' ministry. He says in verse 14, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. 
So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Here Jesus is, beginning what some have called the great Galilean ministry. The one and a half years, the 18 months or so that marked his ministry there in Galilee as he went and he taught and as he shared and as he just ministered to the people. Dr. Luke gives us this account immediately after Jesus' temptation. Other gospel writers tell us that Jesus went and actually ministered in Judea and Perea and other areas for about a year and then he turned his attention more to Galilee. But Dr. Luke as he sets the mission of Christ, as he tries to help his readers understand what the mission was, he brings Jesus immediately to Nazareth, his hometown. And notice it says in verse 14 that news of him had surrounded the region. It had gone out, perhaps from some of those healings or his ministry in Judea or Perea, even as we see that he had worked in Capernaum at some time, that the news of him had gone out and people were intrigued and they wanted to hear about this man named Jesus. So they came together. And it says that Jesus comes to the synagogue. He was somewhat like us. He had that routine of each week worshiping God and he would go to the synagogue there in Nazareth as was his custom. And it says that in the midst of this service, a service which would have uh, included prayers and readings, specifically would have really entailed the reading from the law in Hebrew and then translation in Aramaic and then a study of that scripture and then a reading of the prophets. First in Hebrew, then translated in the language of the day, the Aramaic, and then there would be an exposition that was given. Aren't you thankful you only have to listen to one preacher a day, huh? And Jesus is chosen to read from the prophet and to give the exposition at the appropriate time. So the scripture says that in custom, in the custom of the day, he would stand to read. It would be a scroll and he would unscroll it and he would read it while he was standing. And he chose this scripture, Isaiah chapter 61, which spoke of the mission that he had come to perform. Notice this mission again. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He says, this is my purpose. It was a God-ordained mission. He says, God himself was the one that sent me. 
He is the one that anointed me. Literally, the word anointed is found in that tense, which means that I was set apart at a specific moment, at a specific time. I was anointed for this mission. He has sent. In other words, the tense that is spoken of there means that I was sent and it was a past act and yet it has had continuing consequences upon my life and upon others that I've come in contact with. That's the kind of mission, a God-ordained mission that Jesus came for. And again, notice that God had this plan in his very heart before the foundations of the world. Now, Jesus is reading from Isaiah. Isaiah, if you were to date him, would be somewhere about 700 years before Jesus lived, okay? So about 700 years earlier, Isaiah the prophet was writing about this day when Jesus would come. I think that's phenomenal, don't you? To know that God was working in a prophet 700 years before the actual event, I think that is phenomenal. I can't work two days ahead sometimes. And yet 700 years. But as I said to you, the plan was not even conceived 700 years before. The plan of God to send his one and only son had been conceived before the very foundations of the world. God knew what he was going to do in sending Jesus. He had set him apart for this purpose and for this plan. God was intentional in his planning. I love that about God. There's so many things that we could praise God for and celebrate him for, but certainly to know that God has a plan and that God has progressively been working toward that plan. You see, I'm reactive. I'm usually more responsive. Yes, I might have a little plan, but I can't see what's going to happen down the road. I can only begin to try to think of it. When something happens, I'm more reactive than intentional. Are you? Yes, you are, because I saw some of you at the Tech basketball game yesterday. I'm not sure you planned that outburst. I am quite sure it was spontaneous. Most of us react and we respond. And yet, for God, God had his plan conceived. And, and, and Jesus said, I have been anointed at a certain definite point in history. There was a specific mission that he had called me to. He has sent me. And it was, yes, a decisive moment when it happened, but it has had continuing consequences throughout those I have touched. He recognizes in this passage that there is a God-ordained mission. And notice in verse 21, he had said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Literally, it stands fulfilled. 700 years later, yes, Isaiah had been writing to the people of Israel and encouraging them and giving them hope for what was going to happen. But ultimately, it had been fulfilled through the life and the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus says, here I am, the fulfillment of God sending me upon this 
mission. It was a plan with a purpose. Again, note verse 18 and verse 19. The purpose. The purpose to preach the good news to the poor. The purpose of sending to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, the recovery of sight, liberty to those who are oppressed. It's a beautiful passage, isn't it? To think about how here Jesus was saying, I am coming to help those in need. I am coming to provide hope for individuals. Well, certainly, Jesus touched people and he healed them. And there was a physical dimension of this mission. I mean, he was hands-on. Jesus was he knew he, was, he had been called to reach those who desperately needed him. And that is actually a Lucan emphasis. If you read Dr. Luke, you'll see that he talks about ministry to the poor and to those who, who are so in need. And he emphasizes Jesus' ministry to those folks. And he says, there is that physical ministry that Jesus had come for. And we'll talk about those in the weeks to come, some of those areas and some of those ministries of healing and providing and taking care of individuals. But we're reminded that our mission has a physical dimension. See, even though Jesus says, hey, it's fulfilled in me today, I am coming to start this mission and, and, and to work in such a way to touch people's lives, we were reminded as well as we read through this that that mission still lives on through us, right? Because Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So it's important that when I talk about a God-ordained mission, yes, for Jesus, but now as a continuation of his work through his church, we find our mission. And we're to try to touch, yes, the physical needs of individuals. God has still called us to confront material poverty. He has called us to try to make a difference in our communities and among the nations. He has, tried, he has called us to try to alleviate the suffering of so many individuals. And not just those not just those who are materially poor, but those who are physically brokenhearted, those who are physically, physically oppressed. God has called us to speak into those moments and into those circumstances and to make a difference. Last year or a couple years ago now, I invited a, a pastor in to speak for one of our Monday night services, a Monday night service that I'd had and celebrated each and every July. And I'd had Dr. Wolf to come in and, and speak and preach. Now, Dr. Wolf is, um, let's see, I got to be careful about age stuff here. Um, He's probably about 80 years old. Leslie, would you say something like that? I didn't call and confirm that with him this week, but I thought you would just be okay with an approximation. About 80 years old, 
that he is. Just started a new church down in Mobile, Alabama. Just started a new church. You know what the name of that new church is? Now, he's Southern Baptist to the core, but you know what the name of his new church is? The Luke 418 Fellowship. Now, I had to stop just a minute when he told me that, and, and I know I'm supposed to know every scripture by heart and everyone memorized, you know, but I had to stop and say, hold on just a moment. Let me go back and read what that says. Luke 4, 18. And I began to read that, and I began to think about his purpose in naming the church Luke 4, 18, Fellowship. I, I was able to talk to him afterwards because he said to me, Reggie, you know, this was the ministry and mission of Jesus to touch the brokenhearted, to bring liberty to those who are oppressed, to touch the lives of the poor, to touch the lives of the blind. And he said, if that is the ministry and the mission of Jesus, it should be the ministry and the mission of his church, of his people. And ever since I have read and noted how we as God's people need a reminder and we need a challenge from the scripture to touch individuals in the physical world, in the physical dimension. And yes, we should try to do everything we can to help those who are physically oppressed and those individuals who are struggling each and every day. Those who are in material poverty. My friends, those who are captive to drugs and to alcohol. My friends, those who are captive to addictions like pornography and homosexuality. It is the church's responsibility. It is the people of God's responsibility to speak the truth and to offer hope and restoration to those individuals. But not just physically. Because we know Jesus touched people's lives in a physical manner. But oh, he touched them in a spiritual way as well, didn't he? He touched them in a spiritual way. He was able to deliver them from the bondage of sin. He was able to speak to them of the core issue that they had. And that was the sin problem. A problem that infects every individual. A problem that affects every one of us. And he was able to speak into their lives. And he was able to bring them liberty and freedom. There are many people who are able to literally walk around in freedom today. Walk around physically in freedom. I am thankful for that freedom. I am thankful that despite the difficulties that we see in our nation that there is still a measure of freedom for us to come and worship. I am so grateful for that. But I recognize that there are individuals that can walk around physically free and still be spiritually enslaved. You see them every day. We walk right by them 
every day. People who are oppressed in their sins. And Jesus came to grant liberty and freedom and life. It doesn't matter if they have a secular worldview. It doesn't matter if they have an Islamic worldview. Whatever it is that holds them in bondage. God has called us to speak the truth of Christ. And to proclaim freedom and deliverance. Notice here he says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Many people identify this year with the Old Testament year, the Old Testament year of Jubilee. You remember the Old Testament year of Jubilee? Some of you lived back then. You remember that? <laughs> Trying to get you to wake up and follow me at least. You, you, you remember the description of the year of Jubilee when land would revert back to the previous owner, the owner that had, had really owned it, and all of the, the slaves were set free. And, and it was supposed to be this great year of, of celebration and freedom and Jubilee. It was an awesome moment. I, I, I think it would be all right for us to celebrate a Sunday of Jubilee every now and then around here, huh? I mean, to have that kind of environment and atmosphere where you were celebrating and you were being reminded that God was the owner of all the land and that God was the one who truly set people free and they would celebrate. And, and what Jesus says is that I have come to proclaim to you the year of Jubilee. It's a moment where God can intervene and will intervene in people's lives and they can be set free. What a year of celebration. And all of this, again, is God-ordained. The God-ordained mission of Jesus the plan and the purpose. It was spirit-empowered. I love Dr. Luke and his unique perspective that he brings. Now, all the gospel writers are, they come with their own perspective, perspectives as God empowers them and inspires them by the Holy Spirit, they write. But, but Dr. Luke has several different emphases. I mentioned to you that if you read the gospel of Luke, you'll see this concern he has for the poor and the outcast. You'll see that. But you'll also see his emphasis upon the Spirit of God, especially as it relates to Jesus' life. You could go back and read, and you'll note that he talked about how the Spirit conceived within the Virgin Mary and brought forth Jesus. It was the Spirit that descended like a dove at Jesus' baptism it was the spirit get this it was the spirit that had led jesus into the wilderness for a moment of testing the spirit had done that at the first part of this chapter and now verse 14 we had been told that jesus returned in the power of the spirit the holy spirit had been active the holy spirit had had concerned himself in the mission of Jesus, the Spirit. Now listen, 
if Jesus was so dependent upon the Spirit for guidance and empowerment, how much more so should we be as his people? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Remember what Jesus said? He had told them to remain, the church to remain there in Jerusalem. And he had said that the Holy Spirit would come and they would receive power. Remember that? And then they would go out and they would witness. Then they would go out and they'd perform their missions. Before that, they were just supposed to stay right where they were. Because it was so dependent upon the Spirit of God for that mission to succeed. And today, as we think of the Spirit, the Spirit is what enables us. And the Spirit is what empowers us to be about His mission. May we confess something this morning? May May we... You, you want to start with your activities at the Tech basketball game again yesterday? I, I'm sorry, but I saw some of you. I can't get over it. I, I... <laughs> May we confess something as Baptist? That historically we have been so scared of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives that we've almost dismissed him from our lives? What we've done is we've seen the excesses of the Holy Spirit or excesses of belief in the Holy Spirit in other people's lives. And what we've done is we retreat from the Spirit because we don't want to be lumped in with these individuals that are in error. And I can understand. But may I say to you that you and I, nor anybody else who calls themselves a believer, can ever live a powerful life apart from the Spirit of God. That is the only way we can live. It's the only way Jesus, he was dependent upon the Spirit. And we are dependent upon the Spirit to empower us. Whether it's to get up and speak, whether it's to, it's to go out and, and, and build something, whether it's to take a hands-on activity, whatever it is, we are so dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God in our lives to carry out our task If we are dependent upon anything else, programs or buildings or anything else, we will always fall short of his glory. But if his his spirit indwells and empowers his work, we see things achieved and accomplished that will bring him glory. It was a spirit-empowered Work. It was a spirit-empowered mission that he was called to. And folks, we must be sensitive to that spirit and his movement among us. Notice it says that, again, he stood to read. He sat down to teach, which was the custom. And then it says in verse 22... So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? They looked at him and they were intrigued by what he said and initially impressed. And they began looking at one another and saying, hey, didn't this, isn't this the kid that just kind of grew up down the the street from us? You, You know, Joseph the carpenter, isn't this his boy? 
It's hard sometimes to be impressed with something that is so familiar, isn't it? Now, I know you all esteem and respect me. I say that tongue-in-cheek a little bit. I go back to Birmingham Ridge Baptist Church, and I walk in, and uh, they still pat me on the head. (laughs) Appreciate you not doing that. I think that's what's worn a little spot here in the top is their continual... You know, I'm just kind of, I'm Reggie when I, when I go back and I just grew up and they remember all the fa- You know what I'm talking about. You've been there. And here's Jesus. He's trying to show them the work of God that's right before them. He said today, the scripture's been fulfilled and they're just dismissing it. Well, it's, it's nice words. I mean, we are very amazed at the way you teach and the way you share, but... I mean, isn't this Joseph's son? And then he said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in our country, in your country. In other words, that you'll start saying, Hey, we want you to see you do prove to us now, do some of those things. And, and they miss the Spirit's empowerment. And work through Christ. They miss the very fulfillment. Of Isaiah 61. And I would just caution us here at this point. We must be very careful as God's people. That we do not become what we think. So familiar with God's activity and working. That we miss a fresh movement of God in our midst. Now, I'm not saying that we're, I am not saying there's going to be a new Jesus or new, don't, no, no, no. There is one Christ. I understand his work. I know what he's doing. But I want to say to you, we must be careful to simply dismiss something because we're so familiar with the way we think he's worked before. We just dismiss it. And then we miss out on what he's doing. And here are the people that are the closest. Those who you would think would embrace, they are missing the work of God. Because the mission, as he goes on and defines it, yes, is God-ordained and it's spirit-empowered, but he says it's world-focused. Not just about entertaining a few folks there in the synagogue of Nazareth, but rather this is a mission that is going to impact the world. He uses some Old Testament examples. Verse 24, then he said, assuredly. The word is amen. Ever heard of that word before? Don't use it very often, but you know what I'm talking about. Assuredly, amen, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Remember Jesus' speaking in that moment where he gives exposition from the prophet. He had chosen Isaiah, but now he goes into the prophet Elijah, which is representative of all of the prophets of the Old Testament. And he says, remember it was Elijah 
during his day that God did not send him to any of the Israelite widows, but rather to the widow who was there in Zarephath. God went beyond, and God brought his work to the nations. Verse 27, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Again, God went out to the Gentiles. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. And passing through the midst of them, he went his way. So here they are. They hear it's going to be a worldwide mission that God is concerned about the Gentiles and not just about the Jewish people. Well, they get upset about that. You just offended us, and you've offended your hometown. They get so angry, they're ready to kill him. I love the way Dr. Luke just says this. He says, and in some way, he just kind of makes his way through them and walks away. I think it's a miraculous kind of the authority of Jesus here. That he just can do that. Because Jesus says this is a, this is a worldwide mission. It has been. God's already been touching other people. Even in the days of our ancestors, he was touching others' lives. And I'm coming to touch those who need me. And he says, you know, the Gentiles, they need me. And I'm going to go to them. Anybody in here happy about that? I, I'm so thankful he did, not, he did not decide to provide salvation only for a select group of individuals. I'm so proud he didn't say, I'm going to close off my salvation to this ethnic group. I'm proud he said, I'm going to those who really need help. I'm going to be there for those who are oppressed and brokenhearted. I'm going to be there for those who are blind and need liberty. He says, I'm going to them. And that's my purpose. You know, Jesus did stop, though, when he was reading Isaiah 61. He was reading through that. He actually stopped mid-verse. I don't know if you went back and you read it. He talked about how he had come that day to provide liberty for those who are oppressed and the purpose that we talked about. But, but he left out part of Isaiah 61, 2 or so. Because the prophet had said that this individual who would come would not only deliver those who were oppressed, but it said he would bring vengeance as well. Vengeance. Think about that a moment. Why would Jesus stop right before it spoke about vengeance? Well, according to what I see here and what I understand is, when Jesus Christ came, when he came on this hands-on mission, he came not to bring vengeance, but salvation. 
And today we still stand with that opportunity for salvation. Now, I know that one day there will be another return of Christ. I know that. And in that day, he will come and he will set all things right. And yes, he will deal with his enemies once and for all. But for us as a church, to be reminded again, as the Father has sent Jesus, we are to be sent. We should be reminded this day that our message is not one of vengeance. It is one of liberty and freedom and salvation. And that is the message that has resonated with our hearts. That is the message that has provided us salvation. And it is the message that spurs us on to be on missions with him. God-ordained, spirit-empowered, world-focused missions. And may we embrace it. May we stand this day and may we embrace the mission and the work of God as his spirit stirs in our hearts and works in our souls to be hands-on, to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Because, friends, today we have been saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. And he has called us to take that freedom to the nations. Let's pray together. Father, we bless your name this morning. We praise you. We thank you. And, Father, we pray that today that you would remind us that the purpose and the plan that, that you have given us, one that models the example of our Lord Jesus, is that plan and purpose that you have conceived in your heart for the very foundations of the world. God, I pray we'd be faithful to it, would allow your spirit to work within us, and we would see how we could make a difference in a practical way in people's lives. May we touch individuals in their physical need, but may we also touch them in that deeper spiritual need. Help us to rise up today. Help us to be your church in a hands-on mission. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you?